Hello, my name is Liva Bonnevi and this is episode number seven from Clan of the Horses, a podcast about horses and horse people. In the horse community, there are many who claim to hold the answers, but we are seldom in agreement, which is kind of fascinating. Humans have been around horses for thousands of years, but few answers are carved in stone. We still have numerous methods, approaches and training philosophies. There are different directions, interpretations and last but not least, different opinions about almost everything. Riding, groundwork, saddles, bits, hoof care, feeding, horsemanship, to name but a few topics. Also within so-called natural horsemanship there are numerous variations and different schools. Good ones and not so good ones. And there are many different trainers. They too are good or not so good. Let me start by emphasizing that I am sure that every single trainer within this method started out with a genuine passion for horses, and most of them had an ambition to improve their lives, or at the very least improve the odds of the horse owner being successful. But some of them got lost on the way, and as a consequence they add nothing of real value to neither horse nor rider. Two things are apt to get in the way. The first is the inability to keep an open and flexible mind. The second is greed. The thing about methods is that they tend to make it harder to be present in the moment. If you follow a plan with a fixed progress in terms of levels, it's very easy to lose access to your innate wisdom and sensibility. And when you lose that, you frequently also lose contact with your horse. You become goal-oriented, ambitious, impatient, efficient. Your gaze hardens, but you do not notice, because you are way too busy getting to the next level. Not the best starting point if the overall goal is to speak the real language of the horse and build a long and lasting partnership. Greed is another major challenge, and it is for sure an inherent weakness in all human beings, and it is very easy to fall victim to it. What makes it complicated is that greed doesn't pop up like a troll in a box so you get spooked. On the contrary, it gradually creeps up on you, crawls under your skin unnoticed, and it is very hard to get rid of it again. Why have one student per lesson when you can have ten? Why settle for ten students when you can make a show for hundreds of people? And why settle for hundreds of people when you can create a big event for thousands? A modern circus packed with entertainment, delivered with charm and a good dose of humor, while you seem to move mountains in the course of an evening. Trailer loading is often an ingredient at these big events. The participating horse seems impossible to load, but the trainer makes the horse load itself after just one session and the audience applaud enthusiastically. They feel they witness something magical. During the break, a special halter, designed by the trainer, is announced for sale, and a demo during the show was convincing. After all, a horse that was impossible to load appears to be cured. The queue to buy halter stretches down the long aisles, and the owner who had his horse loaded during the show is first in line. Then the lights go out. The show is over. The trainer has signed the autographs and is heading back to the suite at the hotel, to rest before flying off to the next continent and continue his successful narrative. But the horse that loaded itself, followed by an enthusiastic applause, is not going anywhere. He stands in the rain in the semi-dark parking lot outside the arena and flatly refuses to get into the trailer, even with the new halter on. But that's another side of the story, a side that is rarely revealed, perhaps because many American trainers hide behind an NDA, a non-disclosure agreement. I have never signed an NDA, but I have no desire to name names. I also fail to see that it is relevant, 
because there are so many trainers who operate this way. So many men with hats and sometimes also with flags who do their thing and move on to the next venue and the next horse. They can't be ridden or bridled or led or loaded or whatever. But I do encourage you to take into consideration that this is showmanship first, horsemanship second. You should also bear in mind that some of the big guys even have auditions for the horses they pick for these events to ensure that they get the result their audience have paid for, an event to remember. So, no names, I'm not going after individuals. I'm going after systems, methods and greed that are not doing the horses any good. The goal of this episode is thus to encourage you to start thinking for yourself. A halter designed by a trainer as a must-have item does not improve your horsemanship. Unfortunately, there is no equipment you can buy for money that enables you to read the horse better, that gives you better timing or expands your knowledge about equine ethology. Poor timing does not improve its sharper aids. It worsens. However, if you do find the right trainer, you are in a position to move several steps in the right direction. The trick is finding them. Here are some telltale signs that you should take note of when it comes to trainers to avoid. Trainers who have become greedy at the expense of the horse will often both advertise and sell tack, be it ropes, halters, bits, whips, sticks or whatever. And they will often claim that these gadgets are a vital part of the journey when the goal is to improve your horsemanship. But that's horseshit, pardon my French. This kind of equipment is apt to make you increase both demand and pressure and thus the discomfort in your horse. For sure, it may make you feel that you are more in control and has to use less force than before, but nothing has improved when it comes to the welfare of the horse, your relationship, or your mutual language. You're simply camouflaging the symptoms of your horse confusion, pain, and unsureness. The trainers in question are usually either certified by some guru who has provided them with a method or a fixed system consisting of levels or steps in a given order, usually based on a more or less incomplete understanding of equine behavior and the natural instincts of the horse. Or they will insist that they've spent years studying feral horses or have learned everything they know from their grandfather. The latter will usually put their name in front of the term horsemanship, change the name of the elements that the method in question consists of, and shamelessly take credit for seemingly good results. The modern school of natural horsemanship, in its current shape and form, dates back about three decades. That's when the first students started to monetize from their business in a big scale. But if you pay attention, all the methods have the same origins and can be traced back to a handful of old-school horsemen who have all passed away now. Horsemen who in various ways broke with the established traditions and patterns and searched for a less violent path with the horses. And because no one could see what they were doing, but everybody could see the result, many people call them horse whisperers. Make the wrong thing difficult and the right thing easy was the motto of several of them. But the best and most sophisticated ones settled for the last part of that sentence. Make the right thing easy. But as the knowledge from these deceased horse whispers has filtered down the food chain, the whispering has slowly been replaced with shouting. Trainers shouting to the horses in a language neither party fully understands. And make the right thing easy is no longer about the horse. It is all about making things easy for us. What I see in a lot of the contemporary natural horsemanship trainers are guys and gals who spend quite a bit of energy trying to hide the fact that they don't truly understand what a horse is. What they have understood, though, is the value of euphemism, the ability to gift-wrap something ugly with decorative or even playful words. To the untrained eye, it may look like the man in the embroidered shirt with a lace tie and cowboy hat is performing magic and miracles. But what you see, 
and what you miss depends on your experience. And if you learn to take a closer look, you often see something completely different. Some of the most successful trainers, money and publicity-wise, are the ones operating with a system of so-called games that you can play with your horse. And it does sound friendly and nice, doesn't it? But calling something a game does not necessarily make it a game. Not for the horse. The question is whether so-called games grew out of an understanding of the horse's true nature, behaviors and needs. Or do they grow out of the man's desire for unconditional obedience and control? With these so-called games comes pressure. And the idea is that you split the amount of pressure into phases. Phase one is apt to be the least amount of pressure possible. Phase two is a little bit of pressure. Phase three is apt to be a bit more forceful. And if you need to move to phase four, you are encouraged to use whatever amount of pressure it takes to get a response in the horse. Here the trainer will often emphasize that this does not mean hitting or beating the horse, but for sure that is the end result for most horses that failing to comply results in some sort of discomfort or pain. I find it interesting. Why is pressure a significant ingredient when the aim is to play a game with your horse? That doesn't really make it a game now, does it? I say it's time to move on. Beyond systems that are all about breaking down and controlling the mind of the horse. Moving beyond methods claiming to offer something better than the harsh methods of the past, where we broke down and controlled the body of the horse. Violence takes many forms and shapes. That something looks calm and quiet on the outside does not guarantee that it is calm and quiet on the inside. I remember seeing a video published on social media several years ago that really caught my attention. It was a video of a horse owner and his horse being guided by a trainer in one of these so-called games. The goal of which was to send a horse away from you, backing up, and then get the horse to move forward again and invite it back to you. It was an unforgettable scene, but not in a good way. The video showed a horse with his owner at the end of the lead rope. It was a windy day, large old trees and grass. The owner is trying to play this so-called game with his horse, but the horse will not back up. The horse owner is persistent, but timing is poor and he unfortunately fails to recognize the small changes in the horse, the slight shift of weight, small hints of backward steps. He also kind of forgets phase one and two and seems to jump rather straight over to phase three, or even phase four, hard to tell which. But in his ongoing attempt to make the horse back up, he really makes the lead rope come alive. It is really all over the place. But the horse still doesn't back up. He's just standing there. So the trainer moves in with helpful tips and guidance. The horse owner is told to add a little bump in his routine, or to quote the trainer, use a wiggle wiggle and then a bump. The horse owner implements the bump to the wiggling of the rope, but I refrain from referring to this routine as wiggle wiggle bump like it was some kind of children's song. Let's skip the euphemism and call it what it really is. Shake, shake and jerk. It doesn't sound so good, does it? And it doesn't look so good either. The owner's timing has not magically improved, so the added pressure yields no result, leaving the owner frustrated and the horse confused and frightened. So the trainer takes over the lead rope and asks the owner for some space. And before I go on, I'd like to point out a very significant detail. And that is that the horse, let's call him Ben, is blind in one eye. And like any other average horse, he's nervous due to the windy weather. Probably even more so, actually, than the average horse. After all, Ben sees only 50% of his surroundings. He's a prey animal, and there is trouble all around. He tries to stay safe, but the humans insist that their agenda is more important. But Ben is too concerned about survival, and life has already taught him to block people out. A basic self-preservation technique. Can't say I blame him. Were this my horse, we'd play this so-called game when timing was better. 
on a less windy day perhaps, making the right thing easy. But that option is not on the table. The trainer insists that the game is on, but it is certainly not a game for Ben. The trainer then starts shaking and jerking the rope, face four. But even though the thin rope halter is jerked full force over the sensitive bridge of the nose, Ben does not back up. That's when it starts to get really ugly. Now the trainer too has had enough of the so-called game. It is full force, with both shaking and jerking. Now the trainer also forces Ben to yield his hindquarters by hitting his bum with the end of the lead rope several times, making small circles, exposing Ben to a lot of pressure and energy, failing to take into consideration that Ben is still blind on one side, and although he can feel the pain when he's hit by the lead rope, he has no clue about what it means, how to avoid it or how to get away from it. But Ben still doesn't back up. He defecates. Another telltale sign that he is really nervous. It's not easy to follow the choices made by the trainer in this video, but it is very easy to see that the puzzle lacks some essential pieces when it comes to knowledge about horses. When a clip was distributed in social media and reached horse people outside the trainer's established inner circle, the shit hit the fan. Words like abuse and maltreatment were used by many. People were outraged, and rightfully so. This was a schoolbook example of poor horsemanship. But the greatest shock was yet to come. The quality of the clip and the content suggested paparazzis or hidden camera. Material leaked onto the web without the trainer's consent. But as it turned out, that was not the case. Quite the opposite. The clip was taken from a so-called educational level 1 DVD. Sold by the trainer in question. Then it exploded on social media. And it was around this time the trainer was finally forced to answer the critics. But interestingly enough, the trainer offered no apology on the contrary. The trainer insisted that the clip was taken out of context, claiming it was impossible for people who were not present at the time the video was made to make a good assessment of what was actually going on. Well, if you were to slap your child in the face when he was scared to death, no context is needed. Unless you try to force him out of a burning building, that's bad parenting. Not to say that you're always a bad parent, but the moment you slap your terrified kid, you are. And add the handicap as part of the root cause of your child being scared. And we are for sure no longer talking about child rearing. We're talking about child abuse, plain and simple. But rather than apologizing for the maltreatment of Ben, the trainer made a point of the clip being old and then continued to explain how important it is that the horse is allowed to keep its dignity and that the goal of the method is to give horses good relationships with humans and ultimately save horses' lives. But not a word is uttered about a failing system that is primarily designed to make it easier for untrained humans to handle horses, not to make it easier for untrained horses to be handled by humans. It was a sad and very unprofessional display, watching the trainer trying to cover up loss of composure, lack of feel and lack of understanding. The trainer then highly recommended that we all read a letter written by Ben's owner, so I did. In the letter the owner describes the injury that resulted in Ben losing an eye. He described a horse shying away from people. Ben was furthermore described as a horse for whom humans are not the preferred company. A horse acting out of fear rather than trust or partnership. The lessons with the trainer were described as profoundly rewarding, both for Ben and his owner. The owner summed it up like this. I know I'm grateful for what I learned from the program, and I think anyone who knows Ben will say that he is grateful as well. But what the owner and the horse trainer failed to mention was that the only thing a horse learns when he's exposed to pain without being able to flee is learned helplessness. And can we at some point start talking about the fact that there is hardly a horse in the world that backs up on the first try when exposed to this so-called game? 
and can we please start to talk about why? The language of the horse is a body language. Horses encounter each other body to body. Their predators also aim for the body. The simple truth is that horses have no experience on how to handle energy directed towards their head, and they have no idea what to do with it. So shake, shake, jerk is not the language of the horse. That's why he will never move until he's conditioned to move to avoid pain. Now let's talk about the basics. Groundwork is the foundation for riding. So why in the world would you ask your horse to elevate the neck and hollow the back, which is exactly the opposite of what riding in balance is all about? And can we also talk a little bit about the fact that when a horse is standing like this, with an elevated neck and a hollow back, you have in reality glued his forelegs to the ground and made it almost impossible for him to even think about walking backwards. In short, you have effectively set him up to fail. This so-called game is just one of several games that trainers behind systems like these refer to when they claim that understanding horse behavior is simple when you have a model. But how much have you really understood when you implement so-called games that are counterintuitive for horses? After all, the majority of horses to some extent react just like Ben, with confusion and bewilderment, before they learn what they are expected to do. Add the fact that many horses trained within the system have visible scar tissue after rope halters on the bridge of the nose that never disappears. This is not a game. A good trainer within systems, methods or programs like these can clearly offer you several different tools that may be helpful to take home and implement in your own toolbox. Many of these trainers have a rich and versatile experience based on hundreds, sometimes even thousands, of unique encounters with different horses over many, many years, and many of them have good timing. Remember that the nature of the horse is to cooperate and to get along. So if the horse does not cooperate or try to get along, it often has to do with self-preservation. And it's never the horse's fault. It is always yours. You have just heard episode 7 from Clan of the Horses, a podcast about horses and horse people. I want to thank my composer, Fredrik Blom, and last but not least, I want to thank you, dear listener, for your patience. May the horse be forever with you.